Well, it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to speak. I'm not complaining about that. On the other hand, I'm not sure it's a good thing for me either. Seems like I kind of get out of the habit. So we'll do the best we can. Uh, appreciate everyone being here. You know, in this time, this environment that we live in, it's pretty easy to not want to get out and get around people. And, I, and I'm that way, but I find that it's not hard for me to want to come to, to church. It's not difficult to want to be around the people that I know and trust more than anybody else. So I think that's a good thing. And, and after the lesson we heard this morning, I hope we're, we're all of one mind in that regard. I would like for Sean to just continue that this evening and and just keep going. But uh, what he talked about this morning goes along real well with what I want to talk about a little while this evening. Uh, it's not the same subject, but it but it it helps. It it really does help. And what we're going to talk about this evening is a, a continuation of a series that we started some time back, and it's been a long, long uh, time trying to get through these three three uh, studies, but uh, I felt like even though it's been a long time, I ought to go ahead and finish it up and uh, conclude the, the series. We've been talking about the problem of suffering. We talked about several things uh, to, to do with the, the problem of suffering. We talked about why God allows it. Why, why does he... Why does he allow it? We talked about some causes. What, uh, what causes suffering? Uh, the most common is we ourselves are the biggest, biggest cause of, of suffering. You know, we, uh, we violate laws of nature or someone else violates the laws of nature and it causes suffering. You... you uh, you jump off a tall building, you violated the, the law of gravity. There's going to be some suffering involved. Uh, you violate the law of speeding and reckless driving. There's probably going to be some laws of nature that are violated there. You violate the law of, of drunk driving, and there's absolutely going to be some laws of nature that are violated, and it's going to cause some suffering. Maybe to you, maybe to someone else. We found that Satan is often involved in our suffering. You know, uh, I guess the most uh, accurate quote I could, I could make is that Satan is the master of disaster. I mean, that's what he is. That's what he does. And uh, many times he is involved in this. Uh, sometimes we're just ignorant and unlearned, uneducated about the law of Christ. And when we find ourselves in that situation, the chastisement of God may come upon us and we find ourselves suffering. Even though we put ourselves in that situation, it was because of our, our ignorance or our, our unlearning that uh, has caused us to be in that situation. Because if we had been obedient to the laws of Christ, if we had known the laws of Christ, we wouldn't be in that situation. At least we shouldn't be. Uh, 
So we've, we've looked at some of those causes. And I admit to you this evening that I don't understand everything there is to understand about this subject. And I don't know that anyone does. But the thing of it is, I don't think it's important that we understand everything about this subject. We don't need to understand everything about suffering. What is important is that we can take that suffering and turn it into something good in our life. If we can use suffering in our lives to cause God to be glorified, if we can use it to make ourselves better, we win. It's a win for us if we can do that. So we have one, one final study to look at this evening, and you might think that in this study it would be appropriate to look at some ways to deal with suffering. And I guess you could say we're going to do that in a kind of an off-skew way. Uh, but there are probably as many ways of dealing with suffering as there are people that have to deal with it. Sometimes you find your own way, and what works for you may not work for someone else. So instead of suggesting ways to deal with it, I want to I want to promote to you something that maybe is more important, and that is how can we prepare for it? You see, if we prepare for it, if we're prepared for it, we can deal with it. It won't be, it won't be that hard to deal with if we're prepared for it. And there are several things that we can develop in our lives that will prepare us to deal when, with suffering that comes along. Part of that goes along very well with what Sean talked about this, this morning because if we have that unity that we're supposed to have in the church, it's a whole lot easier to deal with, with anything that might come along, no matter what it is. First thing, though, that I want you to consider for a little while this evening is uh, to develop a trust in God. And I think you do this through being active as a Christian. The more Christ-like you try to become, the more of a strong Christian you try to become, you're going to develop a trust in Christ. The scriptures are full of promises that God made to his people uh, concerning times of trouble. It's just, the scriptures just full of them. And we'll look at a few. In the Old Testament in Psalms, the 46th chapter, beginning with the first through the third verses, the Bible said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. A very present help in time of trouble. That doesn't mean he's going to be a help down the road. That don't mean he's going to be a help when we all hopefully get to heaven. That means he's going to be a help right now. A very present help. Therefore will not, therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, through the waters therefore, thereof roar and, through, and, are, and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. You see, we see circumstances that, could be beyond our control. The earth be removed. The mountains cast into the sea. The waters are troubled. And the roll, roil about. The mountains shake. That's, that's beyond our control. But God is our refuge. And he's a very present help. And even, even in situations like this. In the New Testament in Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 35. The Bible says simply, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for, they, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep before the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now what if this was our attitude? You think you're prepared for trouble? If you realize that everything written in these scriptures is true and there's nothing that can separate you as long as you don't allow it to separate you, as long as you're a Christian, you're an active Christian and you're a strong Christian, Paul said, I am persuaded that none of these things can affect you. None of them can have a, a profound enough effect on you to separate you from the Lord. 1 Peter 5 Verses 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You see, scriptures just keep rolling in about how to prepare for suffering, for a time when things are not so good. Humble yourself. Be that humble person. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Recognize that he is God. And that he can deal with anything. Cast your care upon him. You know there are times in, in everyone's life. that, If you really concentrate on this scripture. You might feel that God is the only one that does care for you. So what? As long as God cares for you. Nothing else matters. That's how, how much faith. How much strength we ought to have in him. But there's some things we've got to do. First of all, we've got, to, we've got to trust Him. We have to trust Him. If we don't trust Him, we're not going to grow in the way we should grow. The prophet Nahum implied in Nahum chapter 1 verse 7, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knoweth them that trust Him. Now you notice there's two different things there. The Lord is a stronghold. In a day of trouble. If. If. If he knows you. And he knows those that trust him. He knows who trusts him. And who doesn't trust him. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 26. Verses 3 through 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. You see scripture after scripture. That reminds us that to put our trust in the Lord. How do, how do we do that? How do we develop that kind of trust? It's nothing new. It's been around as long as, as Christianity. It's been around as long as, as the, the earth has is, is existed. And mankind has been in, in existence. You know what a, a synonym of, faith, of trust is? Faith. It's that simple. It's faith. Faith that comes from the Word of God. Faith that comes from educating ourselves in the Word of God. When we have that kind of faith, we trust God. And He knows we trust Him. Romans chapter 10 verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, 
and hearing by the word of God. We know this scripture. We could all quote this scripture. Very simple scripture, but how much truth is there in it? Faith comes by hearing, by studying, by searching the word of God. When we see what God is capable of, when we see the promises that God has made us and know that he is capable of fulfilling those promises, then we develop faith and we develop trust in God. Those who constantly consider his word develop the sort of trust that we're talking about that sustains them during times of need and during all kinds of times, good times and bad times. And this is just another, another reason that we need to grow constantly and never stop growing in our knowledge of the word. There was a, a man in Psalms chapter 1 verse 3 that was considered to be a blessed man. Uh, and he's described in the first three verses of, of Psalms chapter 1. And I'd like to consider those verses uh, for a moment. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You ever thought about being compared to a tree? A tree planted by the river of water. He doesn't like for nourishment. He doesn't like for anything. He has all the nutrients he needs. He has everything he needs to grow. And you know what? Even in a time of drought, his leaves don't wither. When things are bad, his leaves don't wither because he's planted by the rivers of water. Whatever he does, he prospers. This is how the Christian should be. No matter what happens, we should prosper. Even if something bad, we should, should work to turn, something, uh, turn it into something good. But at the same time that we're trying to do this, at the same time we're trying to grow and, and become more faithful to God, have more faith in God, put more trust in God, we've got to talk to Him. We've got to talk to Him. We talk to Him through our prayer life. Now I know every study usually has something about prayer in it. It's Sometimes you probably feel like that's the most used topic in any study. But in our world today, prayer is looked on with great disdain. It's, it's looked on as not having any value whatsoever. It's looked on as being worthless. And it ha there's nothing has more value, I suppose. So I'd like, to, I'd like to try to pique your interest about why that is, why, why it is so important. Maybe why you hear it nearly in every, every study of the, of the Bible you hear. And why it should not be looked on with such, uh, such distrust and disdain in the world today. The Bible teaches us uh, to pray, even, even in times of suffering. In James chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible simply says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Now I'll tell you a little something about myself. My prayer life, Sean, is not like the Pacific Ocean. It's, it's not calm and smooth. My prayer life goes like this. And you can feel it within yourself. You know. You know when your prayer life's not as strong as it is at other times. 
You can tell it by your own life. And it shouldn't be that way. But we can see through scriptures the importance of prayer. Because sometimes there's just nothing else. Sometimes there's nothing else you can do but pray. That's why it's so important. Because at least you know you can pray all the time. God will hear those prayers. But Jesus certainly prayed during his greatest trials. In the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and you know this scripture, so we're not going to read all of it, but I want to I hit a few high points. Uh, I, want, I want you to get a sense of the frame of mind that Jesus was in. In Matthew 26, beginning in verses 36 through 44, if you'd like to read all that at, at some time, but we see in verse 38 that as he was going to the Garden of Gethsemane, he told his disciples, he said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Now there's two things I want you to get out of that scripture. Number one, that Jesus was in a frame of mind that probably few of us will ever be in. We'll never get to the position that he was in. Now we may think things are bad, and things may be bad, but when you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders, the weight of sin of mankind on your shoulders, that feeling that he had in the Garden of Gethsemane cannot be reproduced to mankind. He said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. But I want you to know so also that the Son of God needed something from mortal men. And you know what that was? He needed them to pray with him. He needed to watch with them. He needed their help. If the Son of God needed the help of mankind in that regard, how much do we need each other? How much do we need each other today? Verse 39 says, And he went a little further and fell on his face. Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation that you fell on your face? I know some of you have. That's hard. That's, that's a difficult time. Notice what he did. He fell on his face and prayed. What else could he do? What else was there? Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. All he could do was pray. If you look in Luke, chapter 22 and verse 44, Luke writes, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was it was great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I don't know. I've never had it happen to me. It makes me wonder how blessed I really am. But I, I understand that there can be a situation where a mental agony is so great that blood starts seeping out the pores. That's where Jesus was. In agony. And what did he do? He prayed more earnestly. His prayer was more fervent. 
I don't, I don't see how we can ignore this fact that sometimes that's, that's what there is. Prayer is what's available and how powerful it was. It got, through, it got Jesus through, through the, this time. It got him through the crucifixion. Prayer got him through the crucifixion. It let him endure what he had to endure. And you think it can't get you through whatever you're dealing with? And then he was hanging on the cross in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Then he said, and then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they were killing him. And he knew they were killing him, and he knew they were going to kill him. They were going to complete their task. And he said, Father, forgive them. That's what, that's the frame of mind that prayer got him in. And we don't think it's useful for us today. Verse 46, And then Jesus had cried with a loud voice. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. With a prayer on his lips. I'm coming home. We find a story about the early church and their prayer. Uh, when their leaders were were persecuted, and if you'd like to break out a Bible, I I don't have all of this on the board. It's a it's a lengthy story. It's Acts chapter twelve, uh, verse one through seventeen, and I'd like to read the whole thing, but we don't we don't have time. But if you like a thriller, you need to read this story. If you like action. An action book, read this story. And I want you to notice a few things that are, that are in this story. Acts chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 1 through 17. Just to set the background for this, Herod the king was persecuting the church. That's what he was about. That was the business he was into. He'd killed James, the brother of John, the Bible says, with the sword. He had took James's life. He saw that it pleased the Jews. It made them happy what he did. So he went out after Peter. He said, well, if that made them happy, I'll go after Peter too. And, and he had Peter arrested and uh, put him in prison and set 16 soldiers to watch him. Four groups of four were responsible for Peter. And we know that Peter wasn't a good fighter because we already saw how he could handle a sword as the mob came to take Jesus. But anyway, in spite of the fact that they knew that Peter wasn't a soldier and therefore wasn't really terribly dangerous to them, they had 16 people watching him. Uh, Herod wanted to make sure he stayed in prison. And the Bible says that uh, he intended for him to stay in prison till after Easter to bring, to bring him forth to the people. In other words, he was going to execute him after Easter. Now, don't get caught up on the Easter because the Jewish Easter is not what we think of it today. So uh, I'm, I'm not smart enough to even understand the Jewish form of Easter. There's a lot of if it falls on this and it does this, but it doesn't do this. That's when Easter is, so... Uh, don't get too caught up into that. But the intention was for, 
for Herod to keep Peter in prison till after Easter, and then he was going to have him executed. And verse 5 uh, says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Think Peter knew this? I think he did. I think it helped him tremendously. Uh, but whether he knew it or not, the church was involved. The church was involved in prayer for Peter specifically. Now, the night before uh, Herod would, would have executed him, this is where we get to the thriller part. Peter was sleeping, laid right in between two soldiers. They were laying down. There's a soldier laying on this side and a soldier laying on this side. And Peter's cha he's chained. His hands and his feet are chained. And then there were more soldiers right outside the door. And the angel of the Lord comes in and, and the Bible says there's a light and the angel of the Lord pokes Peter in the ribs and said, get up, let's go. Peter, he, he was asleep. He thinks he's having a dream. But he looks up and the chains have fell off of his hands and feet. So he was thought he was having a dream. And then they go out the door and there's other guards right out the door and they just walk by and keep walking. Nobody, nobody tries to stop them. And then they're in the outer prison and they come to an iron gate, a big heavy iron gate that's locked. And the Bible says that that iron gate of its own accord opens. The gate opens itself. You can't write this stuff. This is better than any movie you could ever watch. Verse 10 says that now they're out on the street. And the angel leaves him. The angel left him there. Now, verse 11 says that Peter kind of woke up. He realized that he wasn't having a dream. He, he comes to himself. And he knew that the, the Lord had sent the angel and delivered him out of the prison and from the, from the hand of King Herod. And I imagine his first thought when he was out on that street and the angel left him is, what do I do now? Verse 12 says, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. There were many gathered together praying. Still praying. So Peter knocks on the door. And uh, the Bible says a damsel named Rhoda came to the door. And Peter announced himself, said, let me in. She didn't let him in. She turned around, run back in the room, told everybody else what was going on. I'd like to read the rest of the, of the reading there. Verse 14, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, thou art mad. You're crazy. Peter's in prison. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. Peter's dead already. It's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoning to them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. 
Now, you might say, what, what's, this, what's this story have to do with anything? The Christians in this place prayed for Peter. And I don't know what they expected the outcome to be. I don't think they even knew what the outcome would be. And yet they prayed. They prayed fervently, constantly. They prayed for a good outcome, even though they didn't know what it was. They prayed. They, they were so convinced that there was going to be a bad outcome that when Peter showed up at the door, they didn't even believe it was him. That's what God can do through prayer. As we see in the, I saw there in the last few scriptures, the outcome was certainly a lot better than they ever expected. The point is pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Even when you don't know what the outcome is going to be, pray. Because it may be the only thing you have. Because in prayer, we have an inner peace that's necessary for us to, to, uh, to survive uh, trying times. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Being ca- bear careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto, made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I told you that my prayer life is not always what it should be. It goes up and down. One thing I do know is this scripture talking about the peace of God that passes all understanding is becoming more and more important to me every day of my life. That's a big deal. The peace of God that passes all understanding. And it comes through us to us through prayer. But the thing of it is, now's the time to, to prepare that. Now's the time to get our prayer life in order. Because... If we don't, when we get to that trying time, that, that time of suffering, then we're going to be scrambling around. What do we do? What, how, how, do we, how do we survive this? And if you're prepared right now through an active Christian life and having an active prayer life, you're going to know what to do. You're going to know exactly what to do. And we need to do it before suffering comes. Jeremiah 12 and 5 is a, is a very... Uh, amusing and interesting verse to me. I've always loved this verse. It says, If thou hast run with the footman, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? I like that. If I'm running along with some of these younger guys, and they're wearing me out, which they would do, how am I going to run with the horses? I can't keep up with the horses. And if in the land of peace wherein thou trusted, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? You know what the moral of this scripture is? Be prepared. Be prepared to run with the horses. Because if if running with the young men wears you out, you can't keep up with the horses. And if you live in a land of peace, what are you going to do when trying times come? If, If living in a land of peace is hard for you, if you don't have trust in God when you're living in the land of land of peace, how are you going to contend when trials come? If our strength is small when we're dealing with minor frustrations, where's it going to be when something major comes along? So develop a prayer life with God now, and then he won't be a stranger to you, and you won't be a stranger to him when the time comes and you need him. 
But we also need to develop family. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Sean talked about this some this morning. And the only way you do that is you're active in the church. You're, 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 make your presence known in the church. Uh, the preacher in Ecclesiastes wrote of the value of having friends. As Sean quoted the scripture this morning. We'll just quote verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. Makes sense, doesn't it? That makes a lot of sense. That's something I can understand. But woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. I understand this too as I get older. Sometimes I need help getting up. I can't get back up by myself anymore. This shouldn't be hard for us to understand. They can help each other with their troubles. They can help each other with their trials. But they're not going to be in a good place if they're alone. It's not, it's not hard to understand. God intended for the church to provide this kind of mutual encouragement. This kind of strength. That's what God intended. And as members together in the body of Christ, we are, we're to have that same love one toward another and that same care one toward another. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 20, beginning in verse 24. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh, which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. This is the, the kind of attitude we need. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. Those who are strong exhort and, and build up those who are weak. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. And the best way to develop these kind of relationships is to take part in the family of the church, to be active in the, in the business of the church, become involved, make your presence felt, make sure when you're missing, somebody misses you because they know you should be there. And we do that through assembling together. We do that through participation in, in work of the church outside the assembly. You know, we, we should visit the sick, help the needy, encourage the weak, assimilate new members that may not know us very well. Someone needs to take them under their wing and, and show them what this congregation is all about and the love we have for each other. That's not easy, and that's a task each and every one of us can do. Helping others in a time of suffering can soften the shock when it happens to you. Because you see what others do for the people around about, about you. You know what you do to try to help others in that time. And it's only fair to expect the same in return. You know, it's difficult and even many times, most of the times, impossible right now to, to go to a hospital and visit the sick. They won't let you in right now. It's, uh, 
it's difficult and sometimes impossible to attend a funeral right now because because of the present environment we're in. And uh, it's hard to support those who are grieving right now. So we've got to be creative in ways to do that. We've got to be creative in, in finding new ways of contacting people and supporting people because it's not, not just a matter of, of going and doing it as it once were. We may have to seek a different way to, to deal with these things. But if you put forth effort to do that, uh, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed because you realize you're putting forth the effort and you'll be blessed because when it's your turn and you have a diligent need, someone will be looking out for you as well. Uh, if you're not, what are your expectations? If, if you say, well, I'm not, I'm not interested in, in helping someone else bear their burdens. I'm just going gonna to live my little Christian life over here by myself. Number one, you can't do that. But what are your expectations if that's, if that's the way you want to live? You know, it may, may not be right that you are ignored when your time of need comes along, but that's what, what may happen. So just consider that um, if you, if you wanna, want a real good tool for how to overcome suffering, help someone else overcome it. And then you can expect a lot of help uh, in your time of need. Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Very simple uh, admonition that's been around since the time, time has begun. Do unto others as you'd have them to do unto you. So, to prepare for suffering, we've got to develop faith in God. And trust in God. We do this by being an active Christian. We do this by studying, by by listening to to uh, studies, by by hearing those that that are eloquent in the Scriptures teach. We gain knowledge, and we get stronger, and we have more faith. We get to know God, and we allow Him to know us through prayer, and we don't ignore that that uh, awesome tool. And responsibility we have. We become an active member of the family of God. And we get active in church life. And we get involved. And we don't just show up to warm a seat. But we're there to try to do anything we can. You know, burdens and trials and, and storms of life can either shatter you or they can strengthen you. That's the only two effects they'll have on you. They'll either make you stronger or they'll, they'll just crush you. So whether you're prepared for that or not depends on you. Jesus taught that the key to overcoming the storms of life lay within establishing a proper foundation. One created by hearing and doing the word of God. Matthew chapter 7 beginning in verse 24 Therefore, whatsoever, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. 
And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. That's your two options. You found, you found your foundation. You make your foundation on a rock which is Jesus and on the church that Jesus founded then when whatever blows against you, you can withstand. But if you make your foundation on the things of the world and those fly-by-night friends that are in the world, then your foundation is going to let you crumble. Again, we won't read all of it for sake of time, but Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 through 8 talks about a time for everything. And we'll just, we'll just hit a few of the highlights that, Read this sometime because there's a lot of good things in there as as much as bad things. But just to highlight some of the times that we're told we'll deal with. The Bible says to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Verse 2 says that there's a time to be born and a time to die. That's, that's, that's a problem time. That's a suffering time. Verse 3 says a time to break down and a time to build up. Verse 4 says a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. You know, some of those are suffering times, difficult times. Verse 6 says a time to get and a time to lose. Verse 8 says a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. So there's a time for everything, and there's going to be a time for you to suffer, and me as well. And how we prepare for it today dictates how we'll get through it in that day. And how we deal with it. So it's this, this fact that there's a time for everything is very true. But Hebrews 4 verses 15 through 16 tells us. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Another great promise that we have from God that we are, if we are His, if we are truly His children, if we have become His children, this is what we have available to us. To be able to come boldly to Him and say, I need help to deal with this. And to know that that help will come. That help has been promised. And I hope that each and every one of us can find that God-given mercy and help when we need it most. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.